You're listening to Second on the Mount, a podcast of sermons from Second Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We are glad you found us. My name is Elizabeth Link, and I'm the Associate Pastor for Christian Education. Each week, we climb into the pulpit with a bit of fear and trembling. We hope and pray that what we have to say is true to God's will for the church and may encourage and challenge you on your journey of discipleship. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review if you enjoy. May the Spirit have some word for you and what we have to share. Let us pray. Holy God, we ask that in the word as it is read, proclaimed, sung, and enacted in sacrament, that the living word made flesh will find a cradle within our hearts and our lives. Amen. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the Old Testament book of Genesis. I'll be reading from chapter 1, beginning at verse 24. Listen for God's word for us today. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And from Psalm 139, verses 1 through 18, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you, for the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In my Bible, the editor's subtitle for Psalm 139 reads, The Inescapable God. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my every move. Eugene Peterson describes it as God's reassuring presence coming and going. The God who made you knows you completely. This is the God who knows each grain of sand each and every hair on your head, 
the God who took the divine knitting needles and knit you together, stitch by stitch, in your mother's womb. This is the God who goes after one lost sheep, one lost coin, one brother who has gone astray from the fold. A friend of mine from seminary, Chad McCain, served as a chaplain in the U.S. Navy for 10 years. He now serves as the associate pastor at First Pres Lynchburg and recently introduced me to a friend of his visiting from their base in New Orleans. That friend, Tom, still serves as a chaplain in the Navy. Before his current post, his assignment was to the National Cemetery in Arlington. Tom shared that he officiated three funerals each day, every day, all year long. It was a difficult post. In fact, the Navy rarely keeps a chaplain in that post much longer than a year. He was there for nearly two. And during his time as a chaplain, he has officiated close to 2,000 funerals. Most of the funerals he did in Arlington were for World War II and Korean War veterans, soldiers who lived full, long lives. But every once in a while, of course, he had to put men and women to rest who were his own age and younger. Serving in Arlington was an isolating job. He worked in the chapel at the cemetery, removed from any active base or port. His daily business, coming and going, was the holy work of laying comrades to eternal rest. Our conversation made me think of the times I'd visited that cemetery. Perhaps you've seen it for yourself. Countless row after row of identical white headstones with a cross or a star of David or a crescent. And it made me think of the Tomb of Honor, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, with its marble side reading, Known but to God. How wonderful and beautiful to be known by God. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. In 1943, German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer was arrested by the Gestapo for his staunch resistance to Nazi dictatorship and his alleged role in a plot to assassinate Hitler. While imprisoned, he wrote a poem called, Who Am I? And in that poem, he considers what others say about him and what he feels about himself inside. His fellow prisoners saw him as a tower of strength and faith in the midst of incredible hardship and abuse. They saw him as calm and cheerful and strong. But Bonhoeffer writes, Who am I? Am I then really that which other men tell of? Or am I only what I myself know of myself? Restless and longing and sick like a bird in a cage. Struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat. Yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds. Thirsting for words of kindness. Weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making. Faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once? Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. How wonderful it is to be known by God. How wonderful and fearful it is to be known by God. Sometimes we long to be known, for someone to understand us, to see us for who we are. And sometimes that's the most frightening thought we could consider. 
As a child, starting around Thanksgiving each year, I would lie awake at night and think of that old song about Santa Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. It's really spooky if you stop to think about it. <laughs> and I don't think I voluntarily slept the whole month of any December. I wasn't ready for Santa Claus to know me that well. The Samaritan woman called out to her neighbors, come and see a man who has told me everything I've ever done. Would we have gone? As a sideshow trick, it sounds pretty fun. But Jesus was no sideshow palm reader. He could look into the eyes of any person and really know that person. He could see them through and through. And we can only take so much of that. Some of us struggle with a fear of really being known, even as we desire to be made known. To be known is to be vulnerable. Chris and I joke each time something very human happens to one of us, like when one of us got food poisoning in our one-bedroom rental house. We joke, well, we're really married now. <laughs> family systems theory tells us that that's partly why marriage is so hard and why family relationships are so hard. When you live with someone and you share your life with someone, you know the truth about that person. You know their good things and their not-so-good things. You see all of their idiosyncrasies and imperfections. You know all of their buttons to push. In our families of origin, we often revert back to the roles we played as firstborn responsible one or baby brother who gets his way. Whenever we're together for a holiday event or a family occasion, it comes out. And that kind of being known can be tough. That's the fearful part of being fearfully and wonderfully known. And it's one thing for the people we live with to really know us, but we don't want our work colleagues to see our imperfect or embarrassing side. We don't want our friends to know that we sucked our thumb all the way through elementary school, or we cheated on that test in the ninth grade, or we lied to our boss to get that promotion. We want to direct the ways other people see us. We want to cultivate that part of us that we're willing to show to the world. And so we hide behind the mask or the persona we feel comfortable presenting. We want to be known as smart or clever, as strong or independent, as fit, as graceful. The world is happy to give us labels. It seems easier when things fit into a box that way. It might be more obvious to see those labels when we were in our youth, but they exist into adulthood. Certainly they do. You're the smart one. You're the funny one. The prom queen, the geek, the nerd, the outcast, the popular one, the athletic one, the one who's got it all together. I have always loved Psalm 139. In fact, I want it read at my own funeral. Since I was a teenager, it has pulled at all my heartstring desires to be known and to be understood. I thought I knew Psalm 139 as a personal psalm, meant for the reader alone. But then I met our daughter, and I knew it was not just a psalm for us to sing to ourselves about God and God's love for us, but it is a psalm to sing to our children about God's promise to go with them from the very beginning to the very end. The moment the nurse handed Eleanor to me, I knew this psalm and what it meant more fully. It's as if my soul sighed, oh, there you are, little one. It was you all along. You were the one. God was making. God knit her together. God created her life, sustained her life, 
And now Chris and I get to watch it unfold. I don't want those other labels to define her. I don't want those other labels to define any of our children. I don't want our teenagers at Second Pres to wonder how they fit into those labels we give each other. Are they the smart one or the pretty one, the funny one, the tough one, the strong one? The truth of the matter is that while we are trying to hold on to these labels, those realities we craft for ourselves will eventually fade away. Those labels, good or bad, will not last. Any of them could be taken away by illness, poverty, dementia, depression, addiction. A few weeks ago, I was on my way to visit a church member who's on hospice care. And as I walked across her front yard to the door, I thought to myself, this woman knows who she is. And she knows whose she is. She is dying. And at the end of her life, she is confident that she is going back to the God who created her in his image. She is confident that she is, she was, she always has been a beloved child of God. If I could implant one piece of information in the hard drive brains of every child, it would be this. You are a beloved child of God. We want to protect our children. We want to prepare them for the world beyond our doors. And the question we should be asking ourselves each time we hold a new wee babe, or each time we come to the waters of baptism, or swoon over a beautiful children's choir singing, the question we should be asking ourselves is, are we giving the children the gift of that knowledge? That you, dear one, are a beloved child of God. We cannot protect them forever. One day, these precious children will be going through this world without us. They will find a lump or see a polyp on a scan. They'll be tempted to lie or cheat to get ahead in the world. They will be betrayed or mistreated by someone they love. They will be faced with tough moral decisions every bit as much as we are, the way the world is headed maybe even more than we can imagine. What will they know about themselves if who they thought they were the way they thought their world was ordered, were shaken to the core. This isn't just a question for parents. This is a question for each of us. Just moments ago, we promised to share God's love with Emma. And what did her grandfather say? Emma Virginia, child of the covenant, child of God. In baptism, we declare what has always been true, that each of us belongs to God and only to God. No one gets to determine our worth in this world besides the one who wove us together in the depths of the earth, knit us together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knows who you are. God knows you inside and out. Whether that statement is comforting or unsettling, it is true. You are known by God. You're beloved by God. You are a child of God. On Preschool Sunday, it seems fitting. I can feel the echoes in this space. The words of Dr. Edmonds, Dr. Holly, Dr. Klein, Dr. Anderson, Reverend Russell. I can feel the words that have been said in this sanctuary for over 128 years. Emma Virginia, child of God. Emerson Matthew, child of God. Joshua Ramos, child of God. Emory Hayes, child of God. Delaney Caroline, child of God.
Please pray with me. O Lord, you have searched us and known us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Where can we go from your spirit? Where can we flee from your presence? Nowhere. For we come to the end, and we are still with you. Amen. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.